You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more about this show, as well as my other podcast, How to Stand, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com. There you'll find episode guides, as well as additional reading, more exclusive content, tons of great stuff. And never miss an update, an album review, interview, etc. by subscribing to the free newsletter, howtostand.substack.com. You could also become a paying subscriber on Substack, and that means you're supporting an independent creator and become part of a community, howtostand.substack.com. Enjoy the show! Hello everybody, and welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Today we are diving into the life and legacy so far of the G-Dragon in the Quan Gion. We'll get to that. Let's just dive right in, talking about who he is, and you'll see as we go the reasons for his massive multifaceted popularity. Quan Gion was born in Seoul, August 18th, 1988. And he got into music super early on in life, being part of this band at age 6 called Little Rura. Little Rura, they were relatively successful, I would say. Yet, after releasing an album, abruptly out of the blue, the band's contracts were terminated. And so already, as a very little kid, G-Dragon was like, okay, maybe this career wasn't meant to be. Maybe I should quit already. Then he went on a ski trip with family. And during that vacation, someone from SM Entertainment scouted him, basically. Said, come audition for us. He then started training under SM Entertainment before pivoting to YG Entertainment, a rival big K pop company. He actually was training as a dancer there for five years. His total trainee time basically was seven years. When he was very little, he used to listen to kind of just whatever was popular. You had to really seek out different types of music if you wanted to. It's not like the streaming age we live in now. The current K pop system was nothing comparatively. The widespread, easily accessible tools to spread the word about your favorite variety of music didn't exist yet. Everyone just kind of listened to the same stuff, unless you really intentionally sought out the under the radar stuff, which he did kind of by word of mouth, and he started listening to Wu Tang Clan after a peer of his introduced him to their music at age nine. Then he became a Wu-Tang Clan devotee, learning their choreography, their, their movement, their stage presence, re-watching a million times their videos, and his first love was not so much singing as it was rapping. In 2001, he was one of the people who was mentored under this hip-hop collective called People Crew. People Crew were looking for, in their words, the next Bow Wow, and so they were mentoring these promising young hip-hop artists. After being part of the collective on a 2001 album, People Crew introduced Kwon ji to Lee Hee-sun, the leader of the rap group X-Teen. He was also really gaining popularity, networking, getting into well-known inner circles in the music world because he was dubbed Korea's youngest rapper, already writing a ton of his own stuff since age 13, one of the youngest lyricists coming out of Korea. He also then ended up, because of that title, getting the attention of Sean from this duo, Jinu Sean, who vouched for Kwon ji directly to YG Entertainment CEO. The CEO of YG did decide to take G-Dragon under his wing a bit, but he spent his first year with the company as kind of a Cinderella story, kind of like a janitor. He would just clean up. He was like the apprentice, the assistant, doing managerial tasks, janitorial tasks, etc. He had been friends with this guy Taeyang, and they actually thought they could debut as just a duo, a rap duo, GDYB. 
that was the plan, but YG Entertainment actually, to their surprise and initial disappointment, thought, no, 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 we're going to go the boy band route. No hip-hop duo, you're part of a six-person group, which eventually just debuted with five members. But they put him in a group. Initially, he felt very weird, as did Taeyang, because the two of them had really bonded, but they didn't really know the others. It was very awkward at first, and the boy band project could have easily fallen apart in this case. Obviously, that's not what happened, and in 2006, the soon-to-be-exploding-on-the-scene Big Bang was formed. So from a little Rura at age six to Big Bang as he was about to enter his 20s, he was really familiar with the music industry and knew that's where his dream job was. This is when Kwon ji Yeon officially started going by the stage name G-Dragon, the G taken from part of his name, J-I, and the Yeon, spelled like Yon, Y-O-N-G, is Korean for dragon. He was basically still going by a version of his name. By 2012, within six years, Big Bang was everywhere. They really entered the scene with a bang. And in 2012, they went on this humongous world tour. It spanned four continents and really is when G-Dragon expressed, oh my gosh, this sense of, wow, we really are that popular. Didn't really realize it until now. It was a really transformational tour for the group, not just musically growth-wise, but just to see their own impact and be more aware of how big Big Bang had gotten. Remember, KCON just started in 2012, when this Big Bang World Tour did. So K-pop was still kind of a niche interest, but picking up traction. And they are credited with really helping speed up that process of gaining traction. In 2012, G-Dragon was actually Korea's highest paid touring singer-songwriter, and the earner of the most songwriting royalties. He then was able to embark on a massive solo world tour, the One of a Kind Tour, in 2013 becoming just the second Korean soloist to ever go on a worldwide tour. The first was Rain. This was also the most expensive tour of its kind, too. Production costs were estimated around $3.5 million. This massive tour also allowed G-Dragon to become the first Korean soloist to ever tour Dome Arenas in Japan. Throughout just two years, 2015-2016, the total amount of fans he ended up performing for, $3.6 million. In 2015, his estimated annual song royalties were up to 700k. 700k a year just for the royalties. By 2016, nearly 50% of YG Entertainment merch sales carried out by South Korea's biggest retailer were specifically for G-Dragon merch. His second world tour was kicked off in the summer of 2017, the Act 3 tour, which eventually went to 29 cities. This tour was monumental, not just in size and scope, but for G-Dragon very personally. Because 2017 was the year when he really felt, as he was entering a new decade of life, he was really thinking a lot about and reflecting on his career so far, and wanting to, more than ever, not be viewed as G-Dragon, but really remind people who Kwon ji was and how they weren't the same. And he really brought out more of a vulnerable side to himself, his stage presence, and his music through those tour stops. We'll get more into that later. Over the years, he has also become a favorite in the world of fashion. Famous fans include Don C, Virgil Abloh, Rest in Peace. He has started his own fashion line, Peace Minus One, and collections with Nike, Giuseppe Zanotti, Ambush, Eight Seconds, Colette, so many brands. He has launched his own jewelry line, 
He's repped everything from beverage brands to Airbnb Asia to sportswear to Hyundai. He opened up one cafe on Jeju Island in 2015 and then opened up a second in 2017 as part of YG Town, YG Entertainment physical buildings basically. He also actually designed a bowling alley for YG Town. He even helped create this hotel in 2012 that his parents now run. It was basically his gift to them. He's been an infinite challenge, song contest regular. He released a YouTube documentary back in 2018. He's hosted Peace Minus One pop-up shops, as well as just physical location set up in London and Seoul. He's also become quite well known for charity work, making donations, setting up donation booths at concerts, raising awareness for groups like the UN Refugee Agency. There was even a citrus tree forest named after him in that massive year, 2017, with the fruits from those trees going to charity. He has gained admirers in everyone from Jaden Smith to Grimes to Justin Bieber, who he apparently recorded a song with that never came out, what the heck, but some digital vault somewhere currently holding an unreleased Justin Bieber G-Dragon collab. If I have to know that and complain about it, so do you. He actually became the youngest person to ever enter the top Korean composers list when he turned 20. He boasts, as of recording time, 20.8 million Instagram followers. He won Style Icon of the Year back in 2013, was GQ's Man of the Year in 2015, and 35 different South Korean music companies back in 2018 collectively decided to choose him as Korea's best soloist. Going through his discography chronologically, I think is a good place to start when explaining why he did become so popular. So let's go back to 2009, where his now iconic album, Heartbreaker, came out. Personally, I still find Heartbreaker timeless. Just a perfect pop song. Its video became quite buzzed about because it epitomized, from this early stage of his solo career, how people could turn to him for constant makeover surprises. Really, he would reinvent his look, totally. And his platinum blonde makeover for Heartbreaker was just... It really got people talking, as it has ever since. Fun fact, actually, one of his most iconic hair eras, Hera's, if you will, where he had the long, half-shaved head but long hair on the other side for Big Bang's Fantastic Baby, that was 12 feet long. So yeah, he's done everything from super short hair to 12 feet long. As well as his makeup, fashion, he's chameleonic about it, and was since that video. The video also was notable because he did blend it with the song Breathe. He got a B-side promoted during his title track promotion, basically. Very smart. He also, during this era, got some negative press, but he turned it into a real positive. Heartbreaker was accused of plagiarizing Right Round by Flo Rida. Another song of his around the same time, Butterfly, was accused of ripping off She's Electric by Oasis. EMI, the label who released Right Round, officially came out saying, We're cool with this. We don't hear it. It sounds pretty different to us. We're fine with this. And clearly, Flo Rida was too, because he directly jumped on a remix of the song. He was anything but mad. Took it as an opportunity to make a rad remix. Heartbreaker won Album of the Year at the Mnet Asian Music Awards back in 2009 and sold over 300,000 copies. A Boy is a really emotional song on that album that really just opens up about the darker stuff people don't see beneath the glitz and glam of this lifestyle. 
Some notable lyrics, I'm just kind of jumping around here, but they include, quote, it's deep in the night, but I can't sleep, fighting against the worsened headaches, twisted and turned until I was deep in my thoughts, then grabbed the pen again, the lyrics that I'm writing with no space in between. I've come here with no rest since I was 13. My mightiest weapon was my confidence. When there's an uphill, there's always a downhill. Too late to go back. I can't let go. Remember back in that day, your shining dream. Don't forget that day. People say they're jealous of me. Celebrities all live a comfortable life. Be in their shoes for a day. You'll realize what you see isn't everything. The outro has what kind of became a staple for him, which is kind of conversing with himself, where he says, come back to me now, and then kind of mutters an add-on, like someone else is in the room saying, yeah, come back even if it's been a year. He repeats, come back to me now. Then the other version of him is saying, yeah, even if it's been 10 years. Come back to me now, and he keeps going. The following year, he teamed up with Top, a band member of his, for GD and Top. That got a lot of buzz, involved some just other timeless classics like Obsession, High High, Knockout, which Ludacris actually saw a video cut for early on a trip to Seoul and was impressed. They were also getting global buzz because before it became kind of almost a guarantee, they had a YouTube live stream to celebrate this release. He went back to his solo work, On One of a Kind, which came out in 2012. It won Record of the Year at the Soul Music Awards in 2013, and it reached number one on the Billboard World Albums chart. The song One of a Kind earned Best Hip Hop Song of the Year at the KMAs and Rap Song of the Year at the Rhythmer Awards. One of a Kind, perfect title, another classic. It was actually even included in this music critic Kim Bonhyun's book of the most influential Korean hip-hop songs. He references a boy, indirectly the song, in One of a Kind, saying, quote, This little boy comes out and owns the stage. Can't seem to like him. Keep seeing him. Turn your eyes to avoid me, but everywhere you go it's his music. My picks are everywhere. The lyrics in that song really are interesting how they switch between first and third person. He's talking about this, the boy himself, this young pure spirit, ready to enter the music world, his true dream in mind, not letting critics, fame, any of that stuff cloud his judgment, remembering his original reason for doing this. He views that person as separate from who he is now, and talks about him like a separate being that he's a little confused about, unfamiliar with, but he's also just very confident and has these biting lyrics about, get out, are you kidding me? My favorite is probably, I'm sorry I'm so popular. I'm there at just one phone call, number 1988-20818. So his birthday. Some other smash hits from this album include Crayon, an EDM banger that Spin Magazine named the best K-pop song of the year. The video was directed by Sa Hyun Soon, who also has worked on a ton of YG Entertainment videos, particularly Blackpink. He even has his own editing room at YG now. In the Crayon video, G-Dragon is just his most bizarre, bonker self, rides a mini car, rocks a bunch of unconventional outfits, and he keeps saying, get your crayon, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. He really leaned into the EDM sound while almost being a parody of one and kind of normalizing, being outlandish. Part of the joke in his videos is that a lot goes unexplained. 
You're just watching and you don't know why something happened, why he's watching himself on TV, why he's wearing that, why he's acting like that. And the audience is assumed to know. It just goes unquestioned, the weirdness, like it's normal. What do you mean, what is going on? Just a normal day. He also had a subtle reference in that song to ring a ring a ring. He said that phrase, which is actually very similar to the name of a song he wrote for Taying, Ringolinga. Another very highly buzzed about hit from this album, That XX. This song is basically about, hey, you're blind, open your eyes, this guy's not treating you right, I can treat you better, you're blind, I hope you wake up, see this for what it is. It was actually labeled 19 plus for its content, but the 19 plus content was replaced with beeps in the song's music video, which featured Blackpink's Jenny, and Blackpink's Rosé featured on Without You, a different song from the same musical era. This was definitely a time where YG was really trying to kind of, almost like a TV show pilot, see how people responded to their next potential big stars. In 2013, he released a song called Window, produced by Choice 37, who he would go on to collaborate with frequently. Top was actually scheduled to feature on it, but something came up in his schedule. The song really epitomizes part of G-Dragon's whole thing. He is very heavily influenced by horror movies, villainous characters, movies about being obsessed, out of control, a desire to kind of reclaim control. The deeper meaning within villain characters in movies, he really taps into. And this is a peak song for that. Actually, super dark. It's kind of like a horror movie, intentionally, where he's talking about the window is the only thing that knows what happened. But actually, Teddy, who also works with him a lot, just saw it as a sad love song about a relationship that ended. So you can interpret it in the sinister way he seemed to, or in the relatively lighter frame that Teddy uses. But the room for interpretation, the ambiguity, was part of his appeal. His arguably most iconic work, Coup d'etat, came out in 2013 as a two-part release. It features his Peace Minus One official cover art and really symbolized this big moment for him. Despite the boss not liking it, YG CEO, it was too hip-hop for him. He was like, I don't care for it, but it became a smash hit commercially. It allowed him to become the first Korean artist to ever have more than one entry on the Billboard 200 album chart. The album also allowed him to sweep the 15th MNAT Asian Music Awards, winning in tons of major categories, including the biggest award, Artist of the Year. He also won two awards at the World Music Awards, thanks to this album. The song Who You is actually one G-Dragon stole from friend and producer Kush who had left YG but was still working with G-Dragon frequently. This was actually the first time he worked on a YG thing since leaving. And G-Dragon just found it in his studio and took it and rewrote the lyrics, re-recorded it, made it his own. Who You was originally titled F You. Then it was changed to Hate You. Then it was watered down even more to Who You. And the meaning got turned around to be like, I don't know you anymore. You're a mystery to me. How did you move on so fast? Shake the World became the big intro song for G-Dragon's KCON introduction. He performed it live with Missy Elliott in 2013. He actually had Shake the World in mind to be just the album intro, but as they worked on the song, they started really liking what they were hearing so much that they decided let's just make it a full-length track. About four different versions of it ended up being prepared, 
one of which they gave to the survival show Win, Tease is a theme song. Win is the show that gave us the boy band Winner. The song Go is brought to you by the same production team behind Without You. And the final version ended up sounding very similar to the original demos. Didn't change much. I Love It was produced by Boys Noise, who worked on it in just one day. On a visit to Seoul, they knocked it out in one day. And at the time, Zion T was a rookie artist who G-Dragon thought had potential, and that became a collab. The song Crooked was made really last minute. They were trying to wrap it up before a deadline, him, Teddy, Kush, Taeyang, and Choice. They designed it with live shows in mind and just kind of a screw it, I'm having a wild night out kind of energy. And the lyrics are about that, you know. Leave me alone, let me be crooked, as in let me be, maybe not of every screw on straight, act weird and not conventional, just breach every norm and leave me alone. Let me step out of society's rules and expectations. He also really in the lyrics taps into again the movie villain psychology. Like, quote, I want to hide my pain and become even more crooked so you feel sorry. And, quote, you're scared of my crude words and rough eyes, but actually I'm afraid. I want to go back, but I have nowhere to go. I want to love, but no one to love. They also just wanted to make sure this song was quickly finished in time for the album because they wanted something on there that was a bit more punk. G-Dragon does the aesthetic well, that sonic style well, and the album didn't have tons of punk influences at this point. The album really was wrapped up very last minute, and apparently YG Entertainment has like a sometimes three-day turnaround from submission to publication really fast. The cram session paid off, and Crooked became his first video to reach 100 million YouTube views. Black was actually a song Teddy just had chilling on his computer for years before it went to G-Dragon. It's a mid-tempo ballad highlighted more than any other B-side in reviews of this album. Praised for its production, its new side of him sonically, the melancholy, the mid-tempo dark ballad of it all, the take on romances being different, not lovey-dovey, but viewing love as a force, like that evil villainous force that sucks you in like a black hole or something. They went with Sky Ferreira on one version and Jenny on another, which gives very two different vibes. Really mature versus just a more delicate voice. Jenny's version actually was recorded less than five days before Coup d'etat came out, the whole album. The outro, You Do, interpolates Hey Ma by Cameron and adds tons of other melodies, instruments. G-Dragon actually wrote the hook for it in about 15 minutes. YG Entertainment used to make him write a song a week, then a song every three days, then every two days. Pretty soon he learned and trained his brain to be able to quickly hammer out a new song every single day. He has thousands of demos recorded, worked on, that never came out. He recorded this song on purpose on a relatively cheap and old microphone, wanting to give it that rougher, less polished sound. It's a great choice for an outro too, with this message basically of, you can be anything except me. You can be Superman if you want to, as long as you're not me, as long as I'm not Superman in this equation. Nuria was a rap twist on a classic Korean folk song, which is actually sampled at the very beginning. He wanted to have a feature on it from either ASAP Rocky or Kendrick Lamar. Would have loved to see the latter. The song on this album I saved to talk about last, Coup d'etat which in the intro quotes from The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, a poem from 1971. 
If you've heard Lupe Fiasco's The Television Will Not Be Revolutionized, that's what it's playing off of. The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Actually made in response to a different one called When the Revolution Comes by The Last Poets, which said things like, when the revolution comes, we'll probably see it on TV. And they won't even cut to commercial. This is ratings gold, basically. And this poem is kind of a critique of that view, of actually the revolution won't turn into this commercialized thing in that way. It's actually going to amplify the urge of people to start marketing around it. It won't be just like eyes glued to the TV screen, but more like it'll be something we're not aware of enough because we're too busy focused on what's on TV. The poem is very ambiguous. It has an enormous amount of pop culture references, political references. Spiro Agnew, who replaced Mendel Rivers as Nixon's vice president, to Mendel Rivers, who was the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee during the Vietnam War. They also referenced the Schaefer Award Theater, this movie showcase event, Roy Wilkins, executive director of the NAACP, Hooterville Junction, which basically took from a phrase in Petticoat Junction, the Hooverville Cannonball was like a, a big train in the show. The show was seen as like a Beverly Hillbillies spinoff in an indirect way. The Brighter Day, which was a U.S. soap opera, the first explicitly religious one on network TV ever. Famous composers, pop artists, other artists, and a ton of ads. They say the revolution won't say blank, and then they say a paraphrased line from an ad at the time. Things go better with coke. Fights germs that may cause bad breath. Let hurts put you in the driver's seat. Giant in your toilet bowl, which apparently was a phrase used by a liquid plumber. White Tornado, which is what Ajax used in ads. Ajax, the cleaning company. They say the revolution won't get rid of the nubs, a reference to something said in a Razor ad. One of the many ways you can interpret this video is critiquing not just incentive structures in society, but the failure to see those incentive structures for what they are. And the coup d'etat video kind of nods to that ignorance, lack of awareness, with blindfolded press members, blindfolded politicians, raven masks on faces, black paint that runs down the white walls. Everywhere he walks, black paint seems to appear or follow him. The building he's in kind of crumbles around him. His empire is like crumbling. People are trying to reach through the walls, Nightmare on Elm Street style, to get to him, but he is ignoring all the people looking for help. He also seems to make a statement in the video where a man, a beggar maybe, is throwing a rock, and that's all it takes to cause a big explosion. So, so many larger-than-life moments in the video, but one of the small moments seems to have the biggest impact. He also seems to be using the dog metaphor in a condescending way, and a good way, like keep on barking, which he says in several songs. Things like keep on barking, keep on going after that ball, or whatever the analogy relates to. And then, of course, he's like, well, bow, wow, wow, yippee, oh, yippee, very sarcastically. He once again also seems to use his appearance to tell the story in a very cringe way. I don't want to pretend didn't happen. The blackface type moment was just awful. Don't commend that at all. And then there were much less problematic ways he expressed himself in this video, like with the half black, half blonde hair. He was really trying to destroy one world and create another. And this is when we really start to see him remind people, hey, I'm Quan Ji Yon too, and I'm not one in the same with G-Dragon. This story is not an explicit influence for him, but I do think the story parallels are there and helpful to point out. 
His story is like The Face of Another, a novel from the 60s, I'll link to it on my site, that tells this interesting story about a guy who wears a super lifelike mask to cover up his injured face. And he suddenly becomes a different person. His personality changes as he normalizes wearing this lifelike mask. He severs ties more and more over time with who he used to be. He actually changed his face to please his wife, in part, and then goes on to have an affair, attracting the attention of someone else. So lots to read into there, as well as the moment he literally takes off the mask and says no one is here. He's no one now. It's basically fake it till you make it, but dramatized to the max. Fake it until it's not fake, until that's all you have. So when the facade comes down, there's nothing left. You don't remember who you are without it. That to me makes the story very similar to G-Dragons. Quan Ji-Yon is missing when G-Dragon takes off the mask, and he wants to find him again. Emphasizes further why he is so interested in telling the story through outfits. Fashion as an extension of his stories, because your outer appearance really does kind of make the person. It can reflect your inner self, and the mask is just one way in that story used to reiterate that outlook. His self-titled 2017 release was actually originally not accepted by the gown charts as legitimate because it was sold as a USB instead of a traditional CD format. But after Backlash, they did reverse that decision. The cover art of the digital version is a USB image with red lines on it. He said meant to represent DNA. One million copies were sold of it in just six days and he became the first Korean soloist to top the iTunes Worldwide album chart as well as Europe's iTunes chart. He also became the first Korean soloist to spend more than a week at number one on Billboard's World Albums chart. The intro is middle fingers up, pretty self-explanatory message there. Dark Sky Paradise enthusiasts assemble because this reminded me of Big Sean's You Can't Have the Peace Sign Without the Middle Finger. And I'm sure that kind of line has been used before too. Anyway, that's what he's saying. It's true. Part of your peace sign is the middle finger. The song called Act One is literally BS. It's called BS. That really shows how unpredictable his sound can get. Lots of unexpected speed and sound pivots throughout this hip-hop track. It was actually the original choice for the main promoted single off of this album. But because they worried radio wouldn't play it and wanted to do better PR, they opted for Untitled 2014 as a single instead. A beautiful ballad that actually is my favorite G-Dragon song, and one of my favorite songs of all time, period. Regardless of genre, regardless of anything, one of the best songs ever. He makes some classic GD references in BS. He even shouts out Rura, and the dog references back. He shouts out Crayon. He also shouts out Christopher Wool, a painter who did this work, Run Dog Run. Christopher Wool, I'll link to his stuff on my site. It's really interesting. He makes art out of text, basically. Just blank canvases with black lettering or other big lettering. But he takes out vowels and stuff, like TRBL, tribal. You have to read out loud sometimes to get what he's saying. He's also an abstract artist known for mixing clear and messy lines, drawings. He contributed to a dance project set design. He's also a well-known photographer. Really interesting person. The song dubbed Act 2 is called Superstar, another eclectic mix of sounds for him. 
He sings about the glitz and glamour that comes with fame, but again, with the message of, hey, that's not making me whole at all. No replacement for the priceless things in life. Quote, even though I'm now living like those people I used to see on TV, I'm sad for some reason. The loneliness still exists. He's again kind of two voices at once in this song. Hello, no one's answering. Hi, hello, I'm not alone. I need somebody. I ain't got nobody. There's nobody. He also seems to hint at worrying again about taking off that mask and no one recognizing him. Quote, I sing this song, but I don't know if my truthfulness will get through to you. He worries about in these songs, has it been so long, it's too late to redefine myself and have people remember that? Or am I permanently G-Dragon now? The outro, Divina Commedia, an alt-R&B track, is a nod to the Divine Comedy, a poem we've talked about before on this show, about a soul's journey through three parts, Inferno, Purgatory, Paradise. And it ends, long story short, with a sense of satisfaction, your soul is content, having traveled through all three. And it makes sense as a an outro for this part of G-Dragon's career because at this point he is being that reflective about what will satisfy his soul, where he thinks his future could be headed, reflecting on past, present, and future. He samples Veritas Quo by Daft Punk, which is a reference to Veritas Quo, the Latin phrase, which would actually be Quo Veritas. I apologize about the pronunciation here, but it literally translates to whither goest thou? Like, what are you doing? Where are you going? But it could also be interpreted to mean, to what end? Like, what are you doing it for? What's the end goal? What's the purpose? But veridis on its own means to dread. So you could also rephrase it as, to what dreadful place are you going? Some of my favorite lyrics in Diva Comedia. One is, when everyone else was growing, I was listing stocks. That's why I'm short. I just love all the meaning there. The short stocks, economic, jargon, nerdy joke the commentary on other kids getting to grow up normally, quote-unquote normally, while he's already viewed as a breadwinner, basically. The dual meaning of short there, maybe literally short, like he's talking like, hey, I'm still a little kid, but also about stocks, and also about falling short, maybe in life skills. Lots to read into there. I like, quote, they say that dragons rise from humble beginnings. Three, a star is born from the uneventful underground. They say self-radiance is an occupational disease. There's no cure. Four, everything comes at once. If the waves of life come crashing in, ride it. Don't get swept away. That line referencing ocean waves, relevant to what we're about to talk about, as well as this line. Quote, why do they say life is a comedy? Because we laugh and cry? What kind of face am I making right now? It doesn't matter what kind, it's all a mask. Putting our lives on the line to self-hypnotize ourselves. Gambling with our lives just to live comfortably. Guess how much my name is worth. You'll pay? Call if you're curious. That's almost like an infomercial right there, which is also relevant. Lastly, before I explain what I'm talking about, the bridge. Quote, We all live in our own world. On stage, planning, production, screenplay, directing, main leads, in our dreams, unreality is reality, Truman Show. In case I don't see ya, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Unquote. Let's talk about the Truman Show now because he referenced that directly and indirectly throughout that outro. The Truman Show is a fascinating psychological comedy drama from 1998. About this guy, Truman, true man, get it? Lots to read into there. 
who is the main character in a TV show and doesn't know it. So he is the main character of a 24-7 Big Brother style reality show that the whole world gets to watch. So he's in this secret dome where the whole environment is artificial, is controlled, is constructed. It's all scripted what's going to happen, but he has no idea. He's never entered the outside world. He doesn't know there is one. He was the first kid in this story to be legally adopted by a corporation. And his scripted wife, Meryl, her job is to do the product placement. So just through their day-to-day -day life, she has to keep inserting product references. Every time Truman gets even a whiff of suspicion, a whiff of confusion, and could find out everything, the creator and main in charge, Kristoff, goes to extreme lengths to stop him, like by giving him aquaphobia so he doesn't explore the sea. He kills off his dad as the character who died at sea. Later on, he ends up bringing back that character and rewriting the script to say he just got lost at sea. Yeah, it's very scary and concerning that this one dude has so much power over his whole life. Truman goes against the script and actually ends up dating Sylvia, who was just supposed to be this extra, and she tries to tell him what's happening to him. She's not a willing participant in this. She's actually part of the Free Truman campaign. But before she can tell him what's going on, she's axed from the show naturally, and Truman never knows what became of her. Meryl also ends up getting cut from the production because she couldn't take the pressure anymore of keeping this lie to him. Being married to someone, you're keeping such a monumental lie to. She couldn't take it mentally. Since Truman's dad turns out to not have died at sea, Truman is suddenly not aquaphobic and goes on a boat trip. This alarms Kristoff because if he keeps riding the boat, he will hit the end of the dome and find out what's happening. So he triggers a storm, a big sea storm, but in a symbolically dense way, Truman just sails through the choppy waters unabated. He does end up hitting the dome wall and sees a doorway out of there and is starting to realize he can escape whatever this is. This is crisis time for Kristoff, who starts speaking to him directly over the loudspeaker, saying, you know, please stay. He didn't say, we need you for content. He tried to find a nice way to say, the outside world is no more real than the world you've been living in. It is still reality. Really thought-provoking stuff. But at the end of the day, Truman decides to leave and explore the new world. He opens the door and says his catchphrase, in case I don't see ya, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. The audience who was paying attention with rapt attention and seemed very emotionally invested in him no longer seemed that way. Pivot to thinking about what else can we watch on TV now? What else is on? And basically forget about him. So lots of social commentary here, and a lot of it makes sense in the context of G-Dragon's work, because G-Dragon kind of feels like Truman, because he's been in this since he was a little kid. Sometimes he does struggle to know how much of what he's doing is scripted, is prompted by others, versus truly in his power, in his hands, to control his own fate. It also makes sense for any star, really, to reference this movie and feel like Truman, because fame can be fleeting. And you may worry at any moment, if you metaphorically and literally, I guess, rock the boat too much, they'll be done with you. The audience will just pivot and forget all about you like that, like no time at all. So that fear of your fame disappearing instantly, that probably was on his mind when he wrote those lyrics. But he's still determined to see that outside world, which is why the lyrics include, keep sailing, keep going. Don't let them put that storm in your way to deter what your freedom ought to look like.
So one of his big it factors is all the references to this other interesting stuff, as well as the ways he references pop culture and has created his own pop culture as an homage to the other stuff. A new horror movie character and a new comedy character. He is so many different faces, masks, and his story at the same time is not cinematic, is not theatrical, is average of him trying to find himself and not just which costume might fit him. But who is he without the costumes entirely? And getting to the core of who he is via this exaggerated exploration in his fashion, music videos, that I think is the core of his appeal. It's a very human relatable story, dramatized in endearing, but also dramatic, but also dark, but also light, but also comedic ways that are understandable, interpretable for us because we can understand the references he is making to cultural influences. He's also just inspiring, frankly. His love for art, showcasing other artists too, uplifting them. The fashion brand loyalty doesn't hurt either. He'll wear head to toe the same brand. He's just a rule breaker, a trendsetter in fashion, music, and beyond. A champion for just people who want to be themselves and never stop experimenting with what that looks like. He also has spotlit some really interesting artists he had this exhibit back in 2015 called Peace Minus One Beyond the Stage, featuring 200 pieces of art from 12 different artists whose work, a couple of them I really like and I'll link to on my site, runs the gamut. There's Michael Scoggins, a painter from Brooklyn who has his work on display in LA, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, the Museum of Modern Art in New York. He also has some private collections. His work is inspired by Dadaism, Made me think of Top's Doom Dada, an indirect nod to that. He really evokes emotion with unpretentious material, plain notebook paper and stuff. But the art is also mysterious because he always crumples it, smudges it, conceals part of the words. So there's always a, an unintelligible aspect to the familiar writing, familiar writing style rather. He describes his art as, quote, a compendium of innocence, embarrassment, failure, secrets, anxiety, obsessive repetition, and moments of self-deprecation, tempered by hyperbolic flights of self-aggrandizement. So his work both requires scrutiny, and you can never fully reach peak scrutiny. There's just so much to read into there. And he also has an artistic alter ego, which also explains why G-Dragon felt drawn to his work. Another artist you should know, James Clar, a tech-focused artist who seeks to use tech to critique and scrutinize our relationships with said technology, using tech to call out tech. Kind of like how G-Dragon uses music and fashion to highlight and sometimes make fun of, sometimes embrace how the public or the counterculture views music and fashion. Then there is Sophie Clements, an artist from London who focuses on video installations as well as art with the elements, water, wind, light. Her work is all over the world, actually, including the Seoul Museum of Art. And her whole goal is to make us wonder and question, quote, the futility in our attempts to control change and delay the inevitable. Again, themes in G. Dragon's work that make the recruitment make sense. Another reason for his appeal besides the art appreciation the relatability, all the other stuff I've mentioned. How he helped pave the way for future singer-songwriters. Now, it's pretty not uncommon to hear so-and-so from the group 
contributed to production, composing, and or writing their own material. But back when Big Bang started, unheard of. It was kind of just an unspoken assumption that a separate team was behind all your music and just handed it to you. So Jeet Dragon's investment, his commitment to really be so hands-on at such an early age, not even waiting till he like quote-unquote made it, but even when he wasn't the biggest thing yet, doing that and proving it could be successful while dabbling in a bunch of different genres, proving to each person, if you're into rock, hey, I can write my own rock songs. If you're into etc., hey, maybe I can do that too. I don't have to sacrifice a songwriting career for a singing career, or vice versa. I can be successful at both at once. And that opens some great doors. What is next for him? Well, he finished his required military time. He enlisted February 2018 and was discharged in October of 2019. He has voiced interest in someday pursuing a doctorate degree. He studied postmodern music. Then he got a degree in 2013, a bachelor's, and then a master's in 2016 for content and retail distribution. And he has expressed a desire to pursue a doctoral degree at some point, but as of recording time, no concrete plan is set out for that. He certainly will have more brand deals in his future. Estimates vary a lot. I couldn't find just one verifiable number. But the range of estimated net worths is between 30 and $45 million. And he continues to make music with Big Bang. Their new video, Still Life, clearly has a lot of personal symbolism for him. And again, he's using his hair to tell the story. His rainbow hair goes with the inside rainbow of his black umbrella. Just the inside around him is the rainbow in this dark world. Lots to read into there, as well as the moment he sits in front of the sign that says better times are coming. He also stands in front of Ron Way signs, road construction ahead signs, etc. So he will continue to tell his story through visuals, outfits, hair, makeup, and music. That is my recap. I hope you learned to better appreciate his work and discography through this episode. Wonderful, excellent career so far that I will continue to be following and updating you all about on the show. Thank you all again for listening, and I'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody!